You're listening to Time in the Word. Undoubtedly, the reason Paul has so much to say about Abraham in Galatians chapters 3 and 4 is that the Judaizers made such a fuss over him. They claimed that Father Abraham and all his children belonged to God, not by faith alone, but by works of the law. In addition to misunderstanding the gospel, the Judaizers were also guilty of misunderstanding the Old Testament. The fact that Abraham was justified as a Gentile made him the perfect example to use for the Galatians, who had been wrestling with two questions. Whom does God accept, and on what basis? For his answer, Paul took Abraham's history and applied it to their situation and to ours. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Galatians 3.7 This faith is not just for Abraham and the Galatians, but for everyone. In verse 6, Paul proved that justification by faith was God's plan for Abraham. In verse 7, he showed that people like the Galatians could become Abraham's children by the same faith. Then in verse 8, he proves that justification by faith alone has always been God's plan for all people everywhere. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. Galatians 3.8 Let us listen as Dr. Gonzalez continues his expository study of Paul's epistle to the Galatians. Let's turn to uh, Galatians chapter 3. We looked at verses 1 through 5 last week, but I'm going to go ahead and read those uh, just to keep the, the context going. Paul says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted for him uh, as righteousness, now know then that It is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So we'll pick up on verse 6 and move forward from there. Oftentimes, the simple songs that children sing contain some of the most profound theology and some of the soundest theology. Consider, for example, the chorus taken from Galatians chapter 3. It goes this way, Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. And I am one of them, and so are you, so let's all praise the Lord. A simple chorus. Its basic theology, though, is quite profound. And I would guess that many of uh, individuals who sang this 
children's song as a, as a child probably didn't really understand the depth of its, its, uh, uh, of its meaning. After all, we all grew up learning that it was Jacob who had all the children. Father Abraham was a very important individual for the Judaizers. Belonging to God meant being a child of Abraham. So, for example, when the Jews, and you recall this in, in the Gospel of John, when the Jews wanted to prove to Jesus that they were children of Abraham, they said to him, you recall, we are the offspring of Abraham. And then they said to him again, Abraham is our father. Therefore, what the Judaizers insisted on was, if the, a Gentile wanted to belong to God, he had to become a child of Abraham. Now the only way to become a true child of Abraham, said the Judaizers, was to be circumcised as Abraham was. I mean, after all, that was taught in the scriptures, wasn't it? Did not God say to Abraham in Genesis 17.10, This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Until the Gentiles were circumcised, according to the Judaizers, they had no right to call either Abraham or God their father. And I have no doubt whatsoever that the reason why the Apostle Paul spends so much talking about Abraham in Galatians chapter 3 and chapter 4 is because the Judaizers made a big fuss about Abraham. They claimed that Father Abraham and all his children belonged to God, not by faith, and here's the issue, but by the works of the law. How is one made right with God? How does one make the claim to be the child of Abraham, and the child of God? Is it by faith or is something else required? Well, all religious people in the world who are not Christians, who have not trusted the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation, sought his forgiveness, repented of their sins, are adding something to how it is they come into a relationship with Almighty God, and that's the, 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 the issue here. So, in addition to misunderstanding the gospel, Paul sort of highlights that the Judaizers also misunderstood the Old Testament. Therefore, in order to refute their performance-based version of Christianity, Paul had to go back to the Hebrew Scriptures and explain what the Scriptures actually taught. So if you recall in verses 1 through 5, his argument for justification by faith, uh, he appealed to experience, the Galatian experience of the Holy Spirit. And now in verses 6 and moving forward, following, he argues for faith alone on the basis of biblical history. And he uses Abraham as the test case. Now look at verse 6. Abraham believed God, and it was considered to him as righteousness. I'm obviously convinced that Paul's choice of an, old, of, of an Old Testament text was inspired. The Judaizers, with no doubt, loved going back to Genesis 17, where God's covenant with Abraham was signified by circumcision. But Paul went back further 
to God's promise of a child in Genesis 15. God, hold your place here in Galatians chapter 3 and go to Genesis chapter 12 for a moment. There are several verses we're going to look in that general area, so it's worth turning for a moment. God made Abraham quite a few promises in his time. Chapter 12, verse 1 says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And we know God promised to make him into a great nation, to bless him and to make him a great name. Chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. Abraham believed God's promises. No sooner had, uh, uh, no sooner had he received his instructions and then in the first part of chapter 12, verse 4, it says, Abram went as the Lord had told him. I mean, in, it, in its short biographical summary of this period in Abram's life, the book of Hebrews says this. Listen to what it says. And stay in Genesis for a moment. Listen to what the book of Hebrews says, 11, chapter 11, verses 8 through 10. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that, was, that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So Abram left the land of his fathers, and he journeyed by faith, we're told, to the promised land. Some years later, God came to Abraham with another promise. This time, he, it was a promise of a son. Frankly, hard to believe. In the past, and we looked at it just now in, 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 in chapter 12, in the past, God had promised him land, but Abraham still did not own any property. And now God comes to him with a promise of an heir, but he still has no children. And he wasn't getting any younger. He was pushing a hundred. A father at that age? To show Abraham what he had in mind, go to Genesis 15 for a moment, to show Abraham, what he had in mind, God took him outside and showed him the stars. And listen to what he says in Genesis 15, verse 5. He said, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you're able to number them, then he said, so shall your offspring be. What God promised to do for Abraham was humanly impossible. Yet we know Abraham believed that God would Make it so. And here it is. He took the promise the way every divine promise ought to be taken by faith. As the scripture says in verse 6 of chapter 15, he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Or as Paul quoted it uh, for Galatians, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Go back to Galatians chapter 3. What we don't want to miss here is this. What Paul emphasized was the result of Abraham's faith. He, his faith, this is critical, his faith, the fact that he believed and acted 
because he trusted. His faith was counted or credited to him as righteousness. When Abraham believed, God reckoned that as righteousness. Abraham believed and God transferred righteousness into Abraham's account. But the key is, he believed by faith. As we're going to see in a moment, there was no works involved in this process, in this transaction at all. Now, this doesn't mean that Abraham was actually righteous, only that he was declared righteous. He was considered to have a right standing before God. If we use the proper theological term, we would say that God imputed righteousness to Abraham. And by the way, God is the only one who has the right, the legal right, to state whether a man is either righteous or unrighteous. And in this case, he considered Abraham righteous through his faith. In doing, preparing this particular lesson or message, I was uh, reading something and I came across something that serves as a pretty good example of of what it means to be declared righteous. I don't know how many of you are familiar with William Herschel. Um, he lived in 17, from 1738 to 1822. He was an astronomer. To give you some background information on Herschel, he, as a young boy, he grew up in Hanover, Germany. Herschel loved listening to military music. Eventually, he ended up joining a, joining a military band. But when the nation went to war, he found himself marching into battle, not prepared at all to experience the horror of war. During that period of intense fighting, he ended up deserting his unit, and he fled from the field of battle. Obviously, the penalty for doing so would be death. So Herschel could no longer remain in Germany. He fled to England to pursue further studies in music and in science. Eventually, he actually became a famous man. He became a famous man. He, he was renowned throughout Europe for his music abilities and as well as his scientific discoveries. William Herschel had left his past behind him. And for many years, he gave little thought to that death sentence that still remained over him. But then another German arrived in Britain. George, head of the House of Hanover, crowned King of England. King George knew the secret of Herschel's past, and he summoned William Herschel to appear before him in the royal court, obviously with great trepidation. William Herschel, the musician and scientist, arrives at the palace where he's told to wait in a chamber just outside the throne room. Finally, one of the king's servants brought Herschel a document anxiously. He opened the document and read the following words. I, George, pardon you for your past offenses against our native land. Herschel received a royal pardon. Now, the fact that he had deserted wasn't overlooked. And that's an important piece of the example or illustration. His offense was not overlooked, yet he was acquitted, and therefore he was justified in the eyes of the law. In a similar way, tying it back to what we're talking about in, Genesis, in Galatians chapter 3. In a similar way, Abraham received a royal pardon from the king of all kings. He was declared righteous. 
And unrighteous though he was, as we all are, his faith was counted for righteousness by God. It's the same with us. Again, the question is, how do we become reconciled as sinners to a holy God? What is the gospel? How must I be saved? When each of us came to faith, when each of us recognized our desperate need of a Savior, when each of us recognized our offense against a holy and righteous God, and the fact that we were in enmity with Him, and when we clung to Christ, when we placed our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, when we believed, when we acted by faith, God declared us righteous. He imputed to us the righteousness of His own Son. Not because I'm righteous of my, in myself, it's because the righteousness of Christ has been credited, transferred to my account. That is the gospel. And that's why Paul says earlier, anybody who preaches any other gospel is preaching something that is really no, no gospel at all. Let him be anathema. Damned. Although everyone agrees that Abraham was righteous, not everyone agrees how he got that way. There are some Jewish writings outside of the scriptures that depict him as a man whose righteousness was a reward for his obedience. That's problematic. His right standing, they would argue, before God was not a gift, but it was something that he earned. Is that true? I mean, when you think of a passage, again, this is outside of the scriptures, according to the book of Sirach, for example, you will find there that the promises God made were a response to Abraham's faithfulness. Other rabbis said he had to pass through the ten trials in order to merit God's favor. Thus, the first book of Maccabees asks this question. Did Abraham prove steadfast under trial and so, key word, gain credit as a righteous man? Very important question. How does Paul answer that question? with an unequivocal no. Abraham, yes, was steadfast under trial, no question about that, that's true enough, but he never gained any credit from God from his works for obedience. God, this is critical, God counted him righteous by faith and nothing else. That is the gospel of grace. Big difference. The striking thing about Abraham was that he was justified before he did any works, actually. I mean, we would all agree that if Abraham had been justified by works, he would certainly have something to brag about. But what does the Scripture say, says Paul in Romans uh, chapter 4, verse 3? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. He was justified, not as a worker, but as a believer. Two different Gospels. Faith, not works, not obedience. Faith was the instrumentality of his justification. In particular, Abraham did not have to get circumcised to be justified. This is the genius of Paul's argument against the Judaizers. God counted Abraham righteous before Abraham had even heard of circumcision. In Romans, Paul asks if the blessing of God's forgiveness is only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised. And here's his answer from Romans chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. We say that faith was counted 
to Abraham's righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. In other words, the great patriarch was justified while he was still an uncircumcised Chaldean. That is how we are justified. In the second uh, session, that we get into some of the ongoing disputations that exist even now among evangelicals about the necessity of how it is that we come to be righteous. And whether the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, which led to the largest, some would argue, the largest split in, the, in Christendom, was that even necessary? Could we have avoided all of that? Could we? Or did we find ourselves then, in the 16th century, and do we find ourselves now in the 21st century, dealing once again with the same basic issue? How?